This is David and David on Real Estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market and dive deep to understand the issues affecting buyers, sellers, investors, and businesses. If you love real estate as much as we do, sit back, relax, and gain an insider's edge to the exciting world of real estate. David Gorski is a broker and the owner of Sutton Summit Realty, a boutique brokerage providing guidance to over 180 realtors. And David Corman is a partner at Corman's LLP, a boutique law firm focusing on residential and commercial real estate transactions with offices located in Toronto, Mississauga, and Markham. Good morning, David. Welcome to podcast number three, and thank you, everybody, for joining us. Good morning, David. Uh, another week has gone by. Looking forward to this morning's podcast. Uh, we've got quite a few things to talk about today. Every week's an exciting week in the real estate business these days. It really is, David. And, and you know, it's so important to do these market updates on a weekly basis just because you know, the market is changing. And uh, I remember I said that we're feeling a little bit of a slowdown uh, last week. And you looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to remember, we always feel it after, you know, like six weeks to two months after you guys and as a really a realty brokerage do, because you're doing deals and we look at closings. So you're, you know, you're looking at your volumes and numbers when, when people sign an agreement of purchase and sale, we sort of focus more on, you know, what is our closings this month? So usually we're closing six weeks, two months, three months after the agreements are signed. So we will feel the lag, any lag that you feel, but we just generally feel it later. Do So we're like going crazy in our office this week in particular, month end closings, everybody's just swamped. So when we hear you say, you know, it's slowing down, everybody's like, what? <laughs> Yeah. Not not in our office. How are the uh, how are the new deals coming in? Well, we're getting and and I do you know monitor that a little bit. That I did feel a little bit of a slowdown uh, last week, but but a, you have to look a slowdown to what you know we were getting you know 10, 15 transactions in a day, and uh, you know that slowed down for a, you know for a few days. I noticed it was more like coming in like seven eight for a few days, and then all of a sudden we get another day on Friday and we got fifteen deals in again and then you know only you know five or six on Monday so it's not always an even everyday thing but I look at it every single day uh, you know to see what's going on so I haven't really seen a, a any slowdown yet you know our volumes are uh, for closings are quite high for April and May is going to be an extremely busy month in our office as well so if there is a slowdown maybe we'll feel it in in June or July but so far not really seeing signs of it in our office Right, you guys are always a, a few weeks behind uh, um, us, and it, it's just a natural progression of the deal cycle. Yeah, and it's also hard for us to measure. I know you and I have talked about it too in our office. Like, I'm never sure when we're busy. Some of it I know is just market conditions. You know, it's a strong market; we're going to be busy. But sometimes, you know, are we just getting more than our market share in our firm? Because you know, I'm out there doing you know seminars and webinars and my partner Jonathan Hakoan is out there doing things and we're, we have these relationships with mortgages uh, with mortgage brokers and relationships with uh, real estate brokerages like yours and, and we get a lot of referrals so are we getting more than our market share it's hard to assess when we're busy is that why you know it's, I'm sure it's partly why but um, anyways we, we we don't complain when we're busy we only complain when we're not busy right 
Absolutely. It's always a double-edged sword. But listen, let's get into some of these statistics. So yeah. month over month for a number of showings, down 23%. And I mean, our, our front-end staff is definitely feeling it. Um, the phones um, are not ringing as much as they were before. Um, number of solds, again, down 23%, according to uh, Broker Bay, which is our um, appointment system, which about 70% of the brokerages use. Uh, great piece of technology, really. Look at uh, you know the year over year numbers. I mean, we're we're double digit appreciation, right? So. Um, really, these numbers are just coming down from the crazy frenzy that we had about six weeks ago, and uh, they're normalizing a little bit more, but what does that really mean, normalizing? It's still extremely busy. It's still a really strong seller's market out there. Uh, we're just not seeing the 30, 40 offers being registered on each individual property like we did at the very height, at the very peak of the market. Yeah, and that's always an important thing. Like you, you see changes, but you're comparing it to what? Exactly. You're not necessarily saying, well, what did we do last April 28th? You know, what was going on then? Because, you know, there's some relevance in looking at that too, but it's, you know, the market changes, uh, you know, from week to week and month to month. So you're comparing it to what? And everybody forgets what, what a normal market is. Like, what is it? What's a normal market? Like, is a normal market when there aren't multi offers? There's enough supply on the market. Like I don't even like when was that? Like it seems like we've been in a market with short supply for quite a long time now. We have been, and well, you're really the key statistic to a stable market. Looking at the absorption rate, right? And the absorption rate is listings coming onto the market, how quickly they're actually being consumed by the consumer. Right, so I think a stable market is an absorption rate of three months on average, and I mean we've been well below that for for decades. You know, so uh, um, you know it's still a very strong seller's market. Right, and 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 that's the GTA, right? That you're really looking at. Yeah, I mean, the trend right now is that the further away from the GTA that you go, the more multiple offers that you see, and it's a price point and an affordability factor, right? So we're seeing a huge trend of people actually moving away from the GTA or investing away from the GTA just because the numbers make more sense. Well, let me ask you a question. You know, you as the owner of a, a brokerage that's based in Mississauga, right in the, in the heart of Streetsville, uh, you know, you've got a big stable of, of agents out there. Uh, and I know they're not just farming Streetsville, Mississauga, like they spread their wings on. Are you encouraging them to do transactions all over the place? I mean, it's a market uh, factor, right? Um, we, we started really focusing very heavily on investors and starting to teach our realtors and, and, um, really offer a lot of training on how to um, convert um, the regular clientele more into investors and start thinking like investors. So when you go down that path, like you have to come, go out of the city and out of your comfort zone to find properties that 
fit your investor uh, criteria, where the numbers make sense, where um, you can do duplex conversions, where you're closer to other colleges and schools and universities, and where these properties cash flow. So um, just by the normal nature of what's happening out there in the market, we see a lot of our agents transacting in St. Catharines, in Kitchener-Waterloo, uh, in Cambridge, in Innisfil, in Barrie, right? Um, some of our agents are going as far as Aurelia. Um, and it's really, they're taking their local clients and they're just helping them get into um, thinking as an investor and, and, and offsetting their portfolio and diversifying. And it's, it's great to see and something that we really encourage. No, that's great. It's, uh, you know, the world gets smaller and smaller as technology improves. And Absolutely. It was, no, I, I'm, you know, I put up my shingle as a realtor and I'm farming this little area, this little section of Mississauga or Streetsville or whatever it was, but it's no longer the case. Uh, there's no reason to, to limit you. You might concentrate, you might be an expert in certain areas, but but why not spread your your wings? The technology is available to assist you, even if you're doing it from your a lot of from your home. Yeah, and a lot of our agents are buying real estate themselves, like they're investing themselves, which is phenomenal to see, right? I think if you walk the walk and talk the talk, then you're just better equipped to uh, address uh, and 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 teach your uh, your clients to do the same. So it, it's it's been a phenomenal journey and uh, a phenomenal market, and even in today's conditions, when things are really crazy, there's still lots of opportunities out there. Our agents are doing lots of business. They're helping um, a lot of different types of clients get into the market. We're seeing a lot of first-time home buyers come into the market as well. Um, and, uh, you know, there's still a lot of opportunities out there. And it's all about having the right knowledge and the right advice and hiring the right agent that can uh, help you uh, accomplish your goals. Yeah, that's so true. There's uh an agent makes such a difference and uh, you know I always get asked you know, maybe it'll be a topic for another uh, for another day about doing you know acting for a private transaction and I just recently did a blog on on private uh, transactions and and like I I generally argue against it like I don't want to do it we do it occasionally mostly if it's um, you know, between parties that know each other really well between relatives or close friends or something like that. But other than that, I really discourage it. Anybody that asks us to do it, like they're not saving money. They don't, we can't, I can't give advice on market conditions, whether they're getting a fair price or anything like that. There's so many advantages to using a, a realtor and, and not just a realtor, a lot, as you and I know, there's lots, lots of realtors out there, but they're not all created equally. And, you know, realtors that know what they're doing and that are trained probably that have access to the resources that you provide, for example, you know, in the support and the training and things like that, they make a huge difference. And not just in the price you're going to get, price is always important, but in the, in the overall service, the overall experience, you know, staging properties and understanding market conditions and dealing with multi-offers and, and timing the market and things like that. So I, I generally encourage anybody to use a realtor and get a good qualified realtor that's at a good place like like Sutton Summit and they're trained properly and they have support. Um, yeah, Dave, I mean, you're, you're right on. There's 55,000 realtors in the GTA and they're far from created equally. And, you know, a lot of times when our agents transact with another realtor from another brokerage, um, you know, we're the ones that are providing um, 
guidance and advice and, 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 and thought leadership on how the offer should be structured, clauses, conditions. Um, you know, we see it all the time and it's, it's something that I'm very proud of. And I think it just raises the overall bar in the industry uh, in, in general. It's, it's great to see that, but um, you know, make sure when you are looking for a realtor that the realtor that you hire is, is a full-time realtor that they come from a nationally branded uh, company because then you know they're going to have the support behind them to to really uh, be able to um, give you the right guidance that they have the right training um, and that there is a, a quality of standard behind them as well um, take your time and and make sure that uh, um, you feel comfortable and um, number one make sure that there's uh, you know that they're knowledgeable and how they're able to represent you. And that's that's great advice. And it, it's so important. And, and we see it all the time. Like we can see, you know, how agreements of purchase and sale have been negotiated and the mess that is sometimes initiated by one realtor and it's cleaned up by another realtor. And you know, how messy some of these agreements can get with things crossed out and things. A lot of times it's just, you know, it the idea of certain clauses sometimes isn't bad necessarily. And it's not always a negotiating point, but sometimes they just make a mess of putting it down and they're not doing it properly. And then you see a, a, a more qualified realtor cleaning it up, which is good for both the buyer and the seller because we don't want messy agreements and, and agreements that people can't live up to. Um, you know, we, I find it the same thing in my industry too. Like, you know, there's a lot of lawyers out there and a lot of real people that are doing real estate. And I hate it when we're on the other side of a transaction with a lawyer that does some real estate, but he also does litigation and he does other things. And when I try and get a hold of him because there's an issue, he's in court and he's not available and he doesn't uh, do this every day. And it's, it's very frustrating at our end. So I love it when we have a, a lawyer on the other side of our transaction from a good firm, you know, a good lawyer that does what we do, that does high volume residential real estate, commercial real estate, that so when we do have an issue on the other side, we can work together to resolve the problem because my focus, and I know we've talked about before, we're always focused on how do we get the deal closed? Issues come up all the time, problems come all the time, but our yeah. focus is how do we fix it? Not how do we not fix it and stand on strict legal principles. How do we get the deal closed? We don't right. expose anybody's interest by not getting a deal closed. Yeah. It's a small industry. And at the end of the day, you know, we teach our agents that everybody has to work together uh, for the best interest of the client. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so David, when there is a little bit of a shift to the market, right, and the market changes a little bit, mm -hmm. um, what happens in those situations? Because um, I, I mean, there is buyer remorse, right? Like, I mean, we're starting to see it in some pockets in some neighborhoods more than others. But um, six weeks ago, uh, buyers overpaid for some of these properties compared to what's really happening in the market today. And like, like we said, it's still a strong seller's market, but we're coming down from that really high peak that we were at. A lot of people that transacted in that peak, um, you know, did pay a little bit more than what the properties are worth right now. So what happens if buyers change their mind? What happens to the deposit? What happens if there's a firm offer? And that buyer is now saying, you know what? I slept on it. I changed my mind. Um, I'm not going to drop off the deposit tomorrow. Is the deal automatically dead? Well, it's it's a great question. And if 
if we have three hours, I can give you a full answer on, on the podcast, but, but I'll, I'll try and give it as brief as I can. Uh, it's interesting because you hear a lot of discussion, you know, buyer's remorse and buyer's remorse and there were seller's remorse too. You know, there's no such thing. Like there's no such legal concept. You, you cannot rely on, oh, I changed my mind. I made a bad deal. An agreement of purchase and sale in, in, for real estate you know, first of all, it has to be in writing, and, and we—that's why we put it in um, in written form with standard agreements, and we add certain clauses that are negotiated. But it's a contract. It's simple as that. It's a contract, and there is no legal concept of buyer's remorse in the law of Ontario, with one exception: when you're buying a brand new new construction condominium, in the Condominium Act, there's a built-in 10-day cooling-off period. So a buyer can sign an agreement of purchase sale for new construction for a condo, not a, not a detached home or, or something. It has to be a condominium project if it's under the condominium act. And then they can make a good deal, make a bad deal, make any deal they want. Uh, they, they have 10 days to change their mind. That's the only buyer's remorse they're legally entitled to do. So at the end of that 10 day period, they can say, no thanks, I changed my mind. I want to buy it in a different project. I don't want to buy it all. Whatever the reason, doesn't matter. They don't even have to provide a reason. They just have the right to exercise their buyer's remorse right. But that's the only one, okay? For anything else, there's no such thing. They're signing an agreement of purchase and sale. And it's a contract. And everybody has to live up to that contract. So if they do not live up to any element of that contract, then they are in breach of the contract. And there are certain ramifications for being in breach. So for example, I think you were, you were saying the deposit, if they don't deliver the deposit, they sign an agreement says the deposit has to be delivered within 24 hours of acceptance. Correct. Okay, so they have, to, that's an obligation. They have a binding contract even without delivering a deposit. But the first element, the first condition that they, a party has to live up to under that agreement is they agreed, they promised and agreed contractually to deliver a deposit within 24 hours. And it'll say whether it's certified funds or wire or bank draft or whatever it is, but they have to live up to that. And if they don't, there's consequences. They would be in breach of the agreement. Excellent. Hopefully that answers the first part. It does. It does. So um, deposit has to be delivered within 24 hours. There's a terminology in the agreement that says timing is of the essence. How does that play into that role? Yeah, that's and that's a great question. Every standard green purchase sale has that clause in it, that time is of the essence. So what that means, there's certain elements in a standard agreement of purchase and sale in the printed form, and then always in conditions that are added as well, where certain things have to be done by a certain specified date. And sometimes it's even more specific by a certain time. Something might have to be delivered you know, by 5 p.m. on a certain date or a condition has to be waived by 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. on a specified date. So any time thing in an agreement purchase where there's a date specified, time is of the essence. The, it's not a suggestion, it's an absolute. You have to live up to that. If the deposit has to be delivered within 24 hours of acceptance, we know the specific time that the agreement was accepted. It may have been accepted at 11 p.m. at night. So now you've got till 11 p.m. the next day to deliver that deposit. We know, and, and times of the estimate, it's not a suggestion. You can't be five minutes late. You can't be an hour late. It has to be by that time. We have a certain date 
that we're going to close the transaction, our, our completion date. If it's supposed to close on April 28th, it's not a suggestion. We have to close on April 28th. There's consequences if you don't. It's not, well, if I can't, I need another day or two. No, you don't have a right. You have to close on that time. We have to search title by a certain date. Conditions yeah. have to be met by a certain date. Right. So time is of the essence for all of those dates. And if you don't meet it, you're in breach of the agreement of purchase and sale. Yeah, we actually had um, a very interesting situation happen when we were in the peak of the market. And of course, when we were in the peak of the market, hour by hour, the market has, was changing. It was changing quickly. Um, so one of our um, top agents did a deal on Sunday, I think at 2 p.m. And of course, the deposit has to be received within 24 hours. Uh, the next day, which is a Monday at 4 p.m., we still did not receive the deposit for the transaction that happened on Sunday. And the uh, realtor called me and said, David, we want to cancel that deal because we now have received another firm offer for $100,000 more than the offer we accepted on Sunday. And of course, as you know, David, I contacted your office. We had a full discussion. Um, we always lean on your firm for advice in these situations, just to make sure that, uh, you know, we're a hundred percent above, uh, above level and we give the right advice to all parties involved. Um, but, uh, based on the cause of timing of, of the essence and the deposit needs to be received within 24 hours, we signed a mutual release for the deal that happened on Sunday and the seller got, uh, another offer accepted that was I think it was just over $100,000 more. And again, this comes down to quality of representation, having the right agent on your side and being able to navigate these tough environments so that you come up ahead. And it's a perfect example of, um, you know, um, how we were able to do that for our client. Yeah, and that's a, a great example. It's, it's mind boggling that it's a $100,000 difference in that short a time period. You know, like that's, a uniqueness of the market right now there's you know the law applies the same you know when we were in a different market when they you know this deal isn't going through because they're, they're in breach of the agreement now they got to go put it back on the market and they might be sitting there for six weeks two months until they could sell it to somebody else and maybe they don't get the same price they're getting a lesser price uh, so that creates you know different issues for it so, uh, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. They were able to put it right back and get, a, and get that much of a different price. It really says something about the current market. It, it does. And, and again, I, you know, I, I think having the right agent, having the right team, having the right uh, lawyer makes such a big difference to um, the outcome of, of what the end result will be for your client. And, you know, we're talking about building relationships, not just, you know, selling one house or, or buying one house. We're talking about creating lifetime relationships with your clients. And it, you know, it, it makes such a big difference over the long term to hire the right people and make sure you have the right team. Well, that's one of the, the key roles I have a real estate agent. And I always talk about this every time I do a webinar uh, for agents. It's not just the agent skills themselves. So you, you know, I deal with so many of the agents in your office and you've got some great, you know, first of all, they're good people. Like they care about their clients and that's one of the keys to being a good real estate agent, but they're also right up on market conditions. They're up on training. They look for trends. They consult with you as, as their broker to see what's, 
you know, when there's a uniqueness, it's amazing how many different things there are and the uniquenesses there are in each on different transactions. But part of their main role, the way they add value is to make sure that their clients have a good team of other experts around them too. So they're referring them to a good mortgage broker. They've got a good home inspector. They've, they've got a, a law firm like, like mine that we get referred to your, a lot of your clients and your, your agent's clients. Like we're all part of the same team. You know, all of us say, you know, that buyer is our client. Like we we're all, it's the same, it's one client, but we share that client. So we're part of the same team. So it's important that, that we get along and establish relationships as well with the real estate agent and the mortgage broker and the home inspector. And, and we get to, to know them and get some comfort level with them and know that they're in good hands. Uh, now, so that's something that you guys get to do as realtors. You know, we're not generally in a position to be referring that out to putting that team together because uh, generally the, the, the buyers, the sellers contact real estate agents. They don't call lawyers first and say, I, I, it's amazing in my 36 years of practicing, I, th I could think maybe three, four, five times maximum someone has called me and said, can you refer me to a real estate agent? It just doesn't work that way. But from you guys, it's always, you know, you get the contact. I need a, a mortgage broker. I need an inspector. I need a lawyer. You guys are in a position to do that. It adds tremendous value to your business. It does. And, and you know, David, I, I've been on both sides of the coin there where, you know, a buyer comes to you and says, hey, I have a law firm that I've worked with in the past. And, um, you know, it's really hard to steer them in a different direction, but you always want to, right? Because, you know that when you need a lawyer, you need a lawyer. And, and when you need a lawyer, you need the best lawyer you can absolutely have to get you out of those tough situations and to give you the right advice. And um, not all law firms are created equal. There is a big difference in representation, how certain lawyers deal with issues, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, a lot of law firms out there can close a transaction, but when issues arise, when it comes to customer service, when it comes to going the extra mile, that's when quality representation really matters a lot. And having the right team is, is absolutely paramount. Well, I, I agree with that comment. You know, like we bank on the fact that most transactions close relatively smoothly. You know, we have to search title. We deal with title issues all the time. Uh, you know, we, we deal with some timing issues all the time, but, you know, for the most part, transactions do close smoothly, but there's a certain percentage of them. And I'd never really sat down to do the math, but it might be 5% or 10% that start to go off the rails. And that's where it really makes a difference in terms of who your legal representation is going to be and how they're going to handle that situation. Are they going to panic? Are they going to know what to do? Are they going to be practical in their advice? How are they going to be able to deal with the lawyer on the other side? And part of it is including the, the real estate agents in the process too. When things go a little bit off the rail, there's a lot of things that the real estate agents can do. So we don't want to get you out of the process. We need you part of the process 100%. Um, as well. And, but, you know, but that's when we really earn our fees and, and can make a difference. It's when things are a little bit off the rails and how do we find a way to still keep it on track and get the transaction closed when it's supposed to close. 100%. So David, going back to the whole timings of the essence and um, um, not receiving deposit checks and, and people not adhering to those time difference. Can you explain to us what the meaning of, what the difference between the word void and voidable is? Um, I'm not, well, I think voidable means potentially 
a transaction might be voidable because of certain reasons, okay? Certain non-performance of the contract. You know, void, it just means it, it already has become void or, or, or something will become null and void if certain things don't happen, okay? So you see that type of language in condition clauses. Um, like if, if a condition isn't waived by 5 p.m. April 28th, the transaction will become null and void and the deposit will be returned to the purchaser with interest or some, something to that effect in a standard type of clause. So, so there again, there's a time element that something has to be happened. And I always encourage people to be careful when, with the clauses they use, because sometimes with a condition clause, it'll say if, if nothing happens by, and there's no waiver provided or no, nothing happens by 5 p.m. on April 28th, the transaction is firm. Or it might say if nothing happens, the transaction is null and void. Or it might say that you have to provide a, a notice that you're waiving the condition by 5 p.m., failing which the transaction becomes null and void. So you've got to be careful as an agent, understand which clause you're picking to use and, and everything, because we have to look at the strict language of that agreement to make sure that you follow it. So if it says you, if you do nothing, what happens? Does the transaction terminate if you do nothing by 5 p.m.? Or does the transaction become firm if you do nothing? You know, it depends which clause you picked and put in the agreement of purchase and sale. So everybody has to be careful about that. So if that time element is not met and the performance doesn't happen by that deadline, then the transaction would become null and void. Okay, so the, it, the transaction is over. And so that's clear. So I'm not sure if you had an issue with the word voidable, but but that would you know if you have a clause like that, it means it's just a, a different tense of the word void. It's, it's voidable if those elements aren't met and and the waiver is not produced by that time, the transaction becomes voidable. Right. So it's voidable is basically has to be a suggestion, right? Yeah. So voidable has to be initiated by a party, and void is you know either happened or happens automatically where the contract is, is and it's always a question of fact okay you know was notice provided uh, you know how was notice provided if it had to be provided and was it provided on time and and the time is really important like i said if it's 5 p.m and you give the notice at five after five even though it's five minutes late time time is of the essence that's significant and you don't have a right to be late. Time is of the essence. You have to be on time. So I always encourage everybody. I'm sure, and I know you do, as a, you know, the head of a brokerage like that, to make sure that the agents are meeting those deadlines. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you can't, you know, extensions might be available, and you've got to look at that. But, the, but any extension is you're not entitled to it by right. It's something that has to be negotiated and agreed upon. Right. So if you buy a property 2 p.m. on Sunday. It's not the next day before end of day, you need to receive the deposit day. It's within 24 hours of the offer being executed, which is 2 p.m. on Monday. And a lot of agents get that wrong. And um, they have to be careful, right? Because we've seen examples, like I've given before, where um, there's a significant uh, difference in, uh, uh, to the bottom line of, of the buyer and the seller for that reason as well. Right. Right, because the seller is taking the property off the market. And in a situation like we're in now with multi-offers, 
you know, they're choosing which one they want to go with. So a lot of times it's it's price driven. And you and I've talked about it before, it shouldn't always be price driven. You want to make sure your buyer has an ability to close. So you don't get into these situations. You want to qualify the buyer too. So you're not necessarily choosing the top price that's being offered. But as soon as that's accepted, everybody else that's been over, those offers are now gone. And it's sometimes just a lost opportunity to a seller. So it's, it's important for a seller as well to know that they've got a, a firm deal because they're chasing away a bunch of potential parties that would buy their property that move on to the next one. Absolutely. And recently I came across a very unique situation where a cottage property was being sold that had not been tube wiring. And the listing agent uh, set this property up to receive multiple offers. And uh, one of our agents submitted a conditional offer on the property. And the listing agent was uh, extremely annoyed because it was a very strong offer price-wise. None of the other offers were, were close. Um, so the seller opted to work with this conditional offer. And after uh, reaching out to um, quite a bit of lenders, there just wasn't an appetite to take on the risk of the knob and tube wiring. And the agent was really upset that, you know, our agent uh, submitted a conditional offer. And I had a conversation with this listing agent. And I said, well, let me ask you this question. The other two offers that were firm, are they cash buyers? Well, I don't think they were. Okay. And I said to him, so how are you representing the best interest of your seller? Because if you accept a firm offer that doesn't have the ability to close, because, you know, those people are going to be experiencing the same issue with the mortgage. I'm like, so what do you've accepted a firm offer if they don't have the ability to close? Did you ask the right questions? Right. Isn't it better that you accept that conditional offer and we'll figure this out together if you work with us and ensure that come the closing date, we're going to close on this transaction and there's going to be no issues to the seller. And you know what? There was a long pause in the telephone conversation and the other agent uh, said to me, I didn't think about it like that. So really interesting, but I mean, there, there are a plethora of, of issues that need to be addressed, need to be really thought out. And just because you receive a, a firm offer with a deposit doesn't mean that come closing date that the, the, the property is going to successfully close. And sometimes, uh, you know, it, especially when dealing with really unique issues like knob and tube, sometimes it's better to get ahead of it, to really understand what that issue means for both buyer and seller at the very beginning, uh, to have a meeting of the minds, to really uh, sit down and, and put your heads together and figure out how are we going to make sure that come closing date, this property closes. And sometimes dealing with conditional offers at the very beginning uh, makes a lot more sense. Well, it's a great story and, and great advice because, uh, you know, it's, it's where you, you got to look at the practicalities and the big picture in the situation. Because if a property has an issue, you know, that one buyer is, is pointing out, that same issue still exists with the property. Right. And the seller is going to have to deal with it, no matter what it is. It could be a small little sale of a condo in a building that has Kitech plumbing. And if and if, if it's an issue to one buyer, it's going to be an issue to every single buyer. So you've got to, as an agent, you got to get ahead of the game and figure out what's the answer going to be, no matter who the buyer is. I mean, how are we going to deal with that with that Kitech plumbing issue or whatever the issue is? Right. Um, you know, every resale property has its warts somewhere. Uh, you know, and it's a question of the appetite of the buyer to accept it. So 
Um, I think it's great advice. Uh, you know, I hear you're sort of educating another real estate agent, but I think that's that's what you have to do sometimes because they're they're not seeing the big picture and they're you're letting them know they're going to fall into the the exact same trap with the next buyer and uh, and the one after that. The issue's there, so I think you did the right thing. You're getting ahead of the game. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it was an interesting conversation, but when I really broke it down and explained it to the listing agent uh, from our perspective, and I said, yes, you know what, we are doing some of the really hard, heavy lifting right now, but we're doing it for the protection of your seller. Like our buyer has a full um, intention of closing on this transaction, but this is the issue that's coming up. And I said, unless the other two offers are cash buyers, which you indicated to me that they're not, you're going to be running with the same issue, but you're going to be doing it a day before closing. You're going to be extending your, and imagine the grief that your seller is going to be feeling then. And he, he was, he just, he's like, you know what, David, you're right. You know, we'll extend the commission. You have our full cooperation we'll, and, and we'll work with you. And I said, great. <laughs> and, and that's the difference that, you know, knowing um, and educating your realtors has in the marketplace. And, you know, I, I love getting involved in situations like this because it just ensures that there's a good outcome at the end of the day for everybody. And it's adding value. It's earning your commission. And, uh, you know, you don't get a greater commission because you resolved a difficult problem or potentially a problem on this one. You know, fortunately in your business, you'll have a lot of transactions go very smoothly and sometimes the agents don't have to do a lot and they'll earn their commission a, a more easily <laughs> You know, than they would on other transactions. But every once in a while, you've got to be creative. You've got to think a little bit outside the box. And that's where you make a difference. And that's how a real estate agent uh, gets a good reputation okay. because they can do the difficult transaction. They can, they can get you through a difficulty in a transaction to get it closed and get it closed in a timely basis and, and find a way around it. So that client is then so happy to refer David Gorski to his friends and relatives and colleagues because he, you know, he came through and this was, a, and he, he'll tell the story. The, you know, this was difficult. We had this problem, this problem. And David navigated it me through this and got it all done because he anticipated he had to tell the other agent what to do it's a great story and it builds your reputation and it spreads and, and that's why you have success like you do and and you know it's great to help our agents in such a big way and to really be there for them and, and to help them navigate these situations it's uh it's something that i enjoy doing tremendously and uh, you know it's it, it's it's amazing and uh, the nuances in this business uh, as you know, David, you know, they, they never get old and there's always something. And uh, um, that's why it's, you know, great to have your office. Um, and then, you know, we, we have these conversations almost on a daily basis. So I, I thoroughly enjoy them. Well, it, it's mutual. It's, uh, it's always interesting for me to hear things from your point of view. Uh, it helps me in my practice. I relay the information that I get from you back to the other lawyers in my office and, and our and our staff too, because we have to try and be up on it and everything. And it's it's amazing, you know, all these years in practice and and, and you think people transactions are routine and, and thank God most of them are, but it's amazing how many transactions have something that comes up that's unique or a little bit different to them. And these issues come up. You think everything, you know, with all the volume of transactions we do, we've seen and heard of everything. And it's it's things come up that are novel all the time. Yeah. 
And I think that's going to lead to our podcast number four. I think where it's going to be a continuation of our podcast number three of what really happens when a transaction doesn't close and, you know, what happens to the deposit money and, 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 you know, where the funds sit and how long the whole processes take and, and, and what are some of the remedies and damages that occur. So I, 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 again, it's, it's one of those topics that can take, you know, hours and hours to discuss, but I, I think it's really important, uh, David, that we peel back some of the layers and go into some of this stuff. And I can't wait because it's, it's a, it's a very important topic for buyers and sellers to know and to really understand because um, it really does put a lot of context into how um, our legal system works, how um, buying and selling uh, property really works behind the scenes and what happens if um, you know, things don't go as planned. And again, having the right team makes a really, really big difference. So uh, stay tuned for podcast number four. We will definitely go into more details as well. Uh, but David, talking about our businesses, right? Because, uh, you know, when we, when we put this podcast together, we, we said, um, you know, we, we both run extremely successful firms and we wanted to give back and then sort of talk about our businesses a little bit as well. So I wanted to, to talk today about relationships, you know, and how important are relationships in business? Well, it's, it's really important. And you and I talk about it all the time. And we, we did touch on it a little bit, even in today's podcast, how important it is for you to get that team around you that you trust. But, and that's where the relationship building goes to, because not only to, to have people to refer, but to really understand and have confidence that, uh, because of the relationship that you create over time, that those parties are going to come through and support what you're doing and and be open and honest about it too and provide suggestions and have that that comfort level. And um, you know and, and I think the example of my law from Corman's LLP and Sutton Summit, Sutton Group Summit Realty is, is a tremendous example in a relationship that's gone on for decades already. Uh, and, and continues, but part of it is because of the openness and the exchange that we have. Um, if, if we see something going wrong on a transaction and the, and the agents from your hospitals, we're, we're not looking to throw an agent under the bus or say, oh, your agent didn't draft this properly or your agent screwed up. Like that's the last thing we're looking at. Our focus, how do we fix that? We get in touch with you and, and the agent and say, okay, here's our problem. Here's our situation. How do we fix this? How do we get this without playing the blame game. The blame game doesn't serve anybody well. Let's fix the problem together, find a solution. Everybody comes out on the other side looking good. And you can only do that when you really establish a trust and a, and a confidence in the parties that you're dealing with in business. And it's, it's critical to, to my firm to have a, a strong relationship with a brokerage like yours and a really personal relationship like I have with you. It's, you know, that's why you can pick up the phone and call me about something quickly, or I could call you about, about something with confidence that we're going to get the right information. And, and then if I don't know the answer, I'm going to say, you know, I don't know, David, I got to, I got to figure this out and get back to you because, because I'm not sure, right? It's, it's easy for me to say that to you because you're not getting off the phone and going, oh, what good is, is Corman? Like he doesn't have every answer the second I need it. No, you trust me that I'm going to, if I don't have the answer because something is, is new or novel, we'll figure it out, right? Yeah, and I mean, it goes um, much beyond your relationship with my relationship. It's, 
um, it, it's the fact that every single one of my realtors um, has your personal cell phone number, you know, and, and can lean on you and, and your advice, whether it's, you know, 9 p.m. On a, on a Friday evening or 3 p.m. on a Sunday, um, you guys have always made yourself available to us. And it's made a huge difference in how we uh, transact and, you know, the advice that we're able to uh, give our clients. Because uh, one of the things that um, Brian and, and Jack Ellis have, have done when they own the brokerage is they had a three-minute callback policy, okay? Now, Jack Ellis has owned, I don't know, like six or seven different uh, uh, real estate brokerages. I mean, the guy is an absolute genius. I mean, I still um, talk to Jack on a regular basis and I still learn from him and it's great to have his uh, support and, and, and be able to rely and, and, and tap into his resources. But by having these successful brokerages and, and going down the path of, of you know, um, leading them and, and operating them on a daily basis, they realize that if they're able to get involved in escalations very, very early on, they're able to de-escalate them and, um, and bring them to a conclusion in a relatively short time period without them over-escalating, right? And we really continued that, uh, um, that trajectory. So we have a three-minute callback policy. So if you, one of our agents has an issue, they get in touch with management support instantly. And together, we're, we're able to resolve those tough situations and make sure that the situation gets under control very, very quickly and that we have a resolution to our clients and they have a resolution in turn to their clients extremely quickly as well. And it's, it's made a huge difference in, in, in the number of lawsuits and the number um, of negative situations that our, our uh, uh, realtors encounter. And having access to your law firm in that timely manner has made a huge difference to us um, over the last 32 years. Because I know you said decades, but we've had a 32-year relationship, I believe, with your law firm. And, right. you know, it's mind-boggling when you really think about it. No, it really is. And there's a, a great history. And, uh, and, you know, it's great that you mentioned, uh, you know, Jack and, and Brian, you know, who ran the brokerage there. And it's the same thing at my end, uh, you know, my, my partner, uh, Jerry Corman, uh, who just retired um, a little over, I guess, 15, 16 months ago, uh, you know, was part of that, uh, that history going back as well. And he had that relationship with Jack and he had the relationship with Brian. And uh, then I'm sort of the next generation that, that came along you know, to continue it. And we have an, another generation, uh, you know, with my partner, uh, my current partner, Jonathan Ocoan, who takes it even to the next level with the way he has relationships with agents and brokers and, and stuff. And we have a team of young associates that are just absolutely fabulous and get that and understand what we're trying to do. And they're going to continue it. And, and they're doing the same thing. And, you know, that's really critical. You know, we've, our, our two um, firms really parallel each other in that way. And that we've been intertwined for 32 years and grown together is uh, is really remarkable. It's a testament to both and the trust and the relationship, and the give and the take, and and the and we evolve together, and we try and do the same thing with you know with other parties as I'm sure you do as well with other people that are that are part of your your team. 
Uh, and uh, you, you can only hope that we everybody has the successes that our two firms have uh, in dealing with each other. Yeah, we've actually uh, introduced other key partners to the brokerage, and we always try to model the relationship we have with Corman's with, with other key partners we're bringing in. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been absolutely amazing, and we're very, very thankful for that relationship. So... David, let me ask you this question. How can you leverage relationships to grow your business? Well, it's, um, it's relatively simple, I guess. It's, you know, I, I've never been, I never think of myself as a salesperson. You know, you would think of yourself as a salesperson. I, I think of myself as someone that, you know, I'm a lawyer. I practice law. When clients come to me, I help solve situations and and protect them and get transactions closed but part of our business our business doesn't grow unless you do have an ability to market and and my father was in the menswear business he was a fabulous salesman like i would he couldn't sell anything he had to sell men's clothing but he could have sold anything he would have been the if he sold real estate he'd be the best real estate agent he happened to choose menswear he was one of the top salesmen you, you know, to watch him in action to sell somebody and convert somebody and I always used to watch him, but I could never do what he did the way he did. But yet part of what I do, we have to market our firm and let our firm grow. So I have a difficulty compared to some other people. I can't say, you know, David, uh, can you please send me a couple deals? You know, I want you to send me some transactions. I never sort of directly say that to people. I just find those words difficult. Other people have no problem expressing themselves that way. My way of doing it is I'm just going to service the hell out of my clients and try and give them the best advice, best service, best resources, make sure I got the best staff. They're not always talking to me. So we hire tremendous people. we got tremendous staff, you know, that's supporting us and that care about our clients. So we do it that way. Let's, let's do it that way. And, and it'll naturally happen. And, you know, we still get ourselves out there with doing, now we're doing podcasts and we're doing webinars and we're, and we're doing things like that. Uh, where we have social media, we have other ways of marketing. That's not just, uh, you know, David, hi, uh, you know, we're a little slow today. Can you please, you know, send over a couple new, new transactions for us? I have difficulty doing that. You, you know, you have, you have a different viewpoint maybe about how you grow a business. You know what, David, I mean, I completely agree with you. If you're true to yourself, right? I mean, when I was in real estate, when I was selling real estate actively, um, I always had the mentality that um, I'm going to educate the buyer seller to a point where they're comfortable on making the decision 100% entirely on their own. And there's a process to that. There's a time you know, you have to spend some time with them. You have to really coach them and edu educate them. But that's always been my goal um, wearing my real estate hat is to educate the buyer or seller to a point where they're 100% comfortable making a decision uh, by themselves, right? And it takes time to get there. And I would always give them my opinion as well. But my opinion always rests on the fact that would I buy this property? And I'm a huge investor. I always look at real estate from a future resaleability point of view, right? Um, so it, it, it never failed me. And I think clients feel that you have their best interest in mind every step of the way, that they can call you as somebody that can give them advice, 
right? And when you take that position and, and you really give them advice that comes from the heart, um, that's where, you know, you get the growth in, in business. That's where they refer their, their, their family to you. They refer their kids to you. They refer their neighbors to you because they know that you're going to treat the people around them just like you treated them. And you're going to give them advice from the heart, uh, advice that's pure. And you're going to always, every step in the way, protect their best interest, right? And running the brokerage is no different. I treat my realtors exactly the same way, right? Give them the absolutely best advice. You know, they're, they're my family and, and, and I want to take care of them and I want to make sure they have the tools, the resources, the training that they can be the best in the business as well and provide the best advice to their clients in turn. So it, it's been a very, very easy transition for me to step into um, the roles of, of a broker owner and, it's uh, it's been extremely enjoyable as well. And I think you you benefit from being on the other side of it too. So you knew as when you were a real estate agent, you knew what you really needed from your brokerage. You know how can how could you know when it was let's say Brian and and Jack in the day, you know how could they support you? How did they help you? What was it you needed from them? And then you take it to the next level because you know now it's you know it's 30 years later we're, we're in a different era uh, different technology different needs you know the agents are looking for different things but you're on top of those things too so you're just still thinking what's next not what worked in the past but what's what do we need for the future and that's part of you know we do the same thing we've got to be ready for what's going to be next we got to be thinking what's coming what were the trends going in in our businesses how do we stay on top of it and be ready for whatever the next change is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, we're interviewing agents and, you know, we're, we're hiring a lot of uh, amazing agents as well. Like just great personalities, very diverse background, very educated, just, you know, like I I just can't wait for these agents to uh, really go out there in a big way and make a big difference. But the one thing that we're hearing consistently is that, you know, these agents are interviewing 10, 11 brokerages, and they're saying that, you know, what we get from Sutton Summit and what Sutton Summit brings to the table is miles ahead of all the other brokerages. And it's, it's, uh, it's great to hear that, but, uh, you know, very rewarding. And, um, you know, we, we work really hard, but we we're very, very, very passionate about real estate. Well, that's great. And, uh, and that's why you're successful. You're not successful if you don't have some passion. doesn't matter if you're real estate brokerage, you're a law firm, you have to have some passion, you have to care about what you're doing, you have to care about who you're doing it for, who your clients are, but you're, but you're doing it also for not just purchaser and seller clients, but your agents are part of your, your family. And we do the same thing. We care about our staff. Uh, we care about our life. We hire the best people we can find. And by the way, we're, we're looking to hire another a law clerk. Uh, we need uh, someone that can really handled corporate commercial work. If you know anybody, hear anybody, or someone listens to this that's looking for a, a change in position, uh, we're also looking for another associate lawyer. We're ready to groom the next uh, great associate lawyer to add to our to our team. Amazing. Uh, but we, we want to hire. We hire someone. We talked about this before. We hire someone. We want to hire them for life. We don't want to hire them for a year or two and then and then move on. We look everybody we hire. We say. We want you to come. We want you to spend 
your whole professional life with us and grow with us. And I think it's those attitudes and those passions that help our respective firms grow. I think we should talk a little more about this uh, in our next podcast. Um, Another three hour long conversation, (laughs) right? But uh, staffing as a business owner, oh my God, it's so crucial, you know, take your time hiring fire quickly right and make sure that culture fit is 100 percent bang on um because that's the most important yeah david always a pleasure so much fun recording these with you i can't wait for podcast number four um and again it's going to be a continuation of the same topic today what happens when transaction does not close we will see everybody next wednesday uh thank you for tuning in and looking forward to it thanks david everybody Uh, Get out there, do some business, but stay safe. Take care. Stay safe. Okay.